after a few of the usual Sunday evening hymns, the pastor slowly stood up and walked over to the pulpit before he gave his sermon. He briefly introduced a guest preacher who was at the service that evening. And in the introduction, the pastor tells his congregation that this guest preacher was one of his dearest childhood friends and that he wanted him to have a few moments that evening to greet the church and share whatever he felt would be appropriate for the service. And so with that, the elderly gentleman slowly steps up to the pulpit and he begins to speak and he begins with the story. A father and his teenage son and a friend of the son were sailing off the Pacific coast when a fast storm blocked any attempt to get back to the shore. The waves were so high, and even though the father was an experienced sailor, he could not keep the boat completely upright, and the two boys were thrown overboard and swept out into the ocean. This elderly preacher hesitated for a moment, and he made eye contact with two teenage boys in the congregation, and for the first time in months, they're actually interested in a sermon. The elderly minister continued with his story. Grabbing a rescue line, the father had to make the most excruciating decision of his life. Which boy is he going to throw the rescue lifeline to? He had only seconds to make the decision, and the father knew that his son was a believer in Jesus. He knew he was a Christian, and he knew the friend of the son was not a Christian. The agony of this decision overwhelmed the father. And so as the father yells out, I love you, son, he takes the rescue lifeline and he throws it to the son's friend. And by the time the father has pulled the friend back into the boat, his son has disappeared beneath the raging waves into the dark ocean. His son drowned and the body was never recovered. Now, by this time, the two teenagers in the congregation are sitting up in the pew. They are hanging on every word of this elderly pastor. And he continues. He says, the father knew his son would step into eternity with Jesus. And he could not bear the thought of his son's friend stepping into an eternity without Jesus. Therefore, he sacrificed his son to save the life of the friend. The elderly pastor looked at this congregation that evening and he says, how great is the love of God that he should do the same for us. Our heavenly father sacrificed his son so that we could be saved. And I urge you tonight to accept this offer of a rescue, to reach out and believe and take hold of the lifeline he is throwing out to you in this service. With that, the old pastor turned and sat back down in his chair and silence filled the room. Within moments after the service ending, the two teenage boys were at the old man's side. That was a great story. Politely, one of the teenage boys stated, but I don't think it was very realistic. I don't think it was very realistic that a father would give up his only son's life just in hopes that the other would become a Christian. The elderly pastor said, well, you got a point there. 
It sure isn't very realistic, is it? But I'm here today to tell you that that story gives me a glimpse of what it might have been like for the father to give up his son to rescue me. You see, I am the father in that story and your pastor that introduced me tonight was my son's friend. I want you to picture the son's friend out in the ocean, hopeless, helpless, desperate, going under, drowning, headed for death, moments from stepping into an eternity, separated from God until he was rescued. It cost the father his only son, but the son's friend was rescued. He was given new life. Therefore, how will the friend respond to his rescue? Well, he gives his life to Jesus. He becomes really close friends with this father that saved him. He becomes a pastor. He gives his whole life to Jesus and to the church. He responds to his rescue. How could he not? How could he not live the rest of his life trying to honor the mercy that the father had shown him that day? This morning, I want you to look at Romans Chapter 12, verse one with me. This is Paul. He's in the city of Corinth and he's writing to the believers in Rome. Chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. And so you probably know this, but anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? What has just happened that I now need to respond to? And what Paul is saying is that everything I have just told you in Romans chapters 1 through 11, therefore, here's how you should respond in chapter 12. Here's how you should live. Well, what has Paul told them in Romans chapters 1 through 11? We could spend 11 Sundays breaking that down, but here's the cliff notes. Paul has just shared the ins and outs of the gospel in chapters 1 through 11. He has passionately told this church in Rome, and he passionately tells this church at Radius this morning in chapters 1 through 11 that you are desperate. Without Jesus, you are hopeless. You are helpless. You are lost. You have sinned, and you fall woefully short of what God requires. The anger of God is gonna be poured out on sin, that we are storing up punishment for ourselves because of our sin, that we deserve eternal punishment, eternal separation from God. You're you're really not just in the ocean drowning. You're already dead because of your sin. But he tells us in chapters one through 11 that God presents Jesus as a sacrifice. God sacrifices his own son to throw you a rescue lifeline. And if you take that lifeline, if you believe, then you won't be a slave to your sin anymore. You will be set free. You can spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. Chapters 1 through 11, you have been rescued. Chapter 12, therefore, this is how you should respond to your rescue. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. 12 traits of the rescued Christian, 12 traits of the rescued church, 12 ways that we should be living in response to our rescue. 
And so we'll comment on a few of these, but I really want you to look at these 12 and I, I wanna ask how you are doing. As we kick off a new year, how are you doing as an individual? How are we doing as a church? We'll ask God to change us and make us look more like Jesus in the process. So let me just remind you what John Reeves, our lead pastor, has been talking about here really for the last year and we will continue it this year is the healthy you, that we want you to be healthy. And you know what you get when you put a bunch of individual yous together? You get us, corporate, the church. And so as the new year, uh, we flip the page to a new year. Let's check in on you. Let's check in on us. And we're going to use Romans 12 to do it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because God has shown you so much mercy, because God sacrificed his son to rescue you, a sinner, I urge you to what? What does Paul say? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So the number one trait, the number one way that we should respond to our rescue, and it's really just a truth from Romans 12, is that God wants all of you. He doesn't want some of you. He wants all of you. Paul says God does not want casual Christians. In fact, it makes you wonder if there even is such a thing. How could we be casual in response to being rescued? How can we be casual in response to God's mercy? Paul says, I urge you with God's incredible mercy, always in your rearview mirror to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, to make a conscious decision to crawl up on the altar of God and give him everything, your life, your body. He wants all of you. He wants your mind. He wants what you think about, what you believe, how you see the world. He wants your mouth, the things that you say to reflect him, which yes, that includes the things that you type. He wants your eyes, the things that you look at, the things that you watch and see to honor him. He wants your ears, the things that you listen to. He wants your hands, the things that you do. He wants your work to be for him. He wants your feet, the places that you go. He wants your heart, your hopes, your dreams, your secrets, your plans. He wants your body. He wants the decisions that you make with your body to be pure and holy. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, but he's in Corinth, a city with a reputation of being a hotbed of sexual immorality, where people are doing whatever they want to their bodies with whoever they want to do it with. And Paul says, God wants all of you. And it's the reasonable response when you've been rescued, to be a living sacrifice, God working in and through you, this is true and proper worship. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because you've been rescued, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse two, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Number two way that we respond to our rescue, don't conform, be transformed. 
Don't conform, be transformed. Paul says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You know the problem with offering yourself as a living sacrifice on the altar? Is that you're still alive. <laughs> that there's, a, there's gonna be this temptation to crawl back off of the altar. You're gonna be tempted to be drawn back into the world and give your body there, to give your mind or your mouth or your eyes or your ears or your hands or your feet or your body or your heart back to the world to crawl off of the altar and go back to the world. Paul says the world wants to conform you. It wants to squeeze you. It wants to mold you into being like it and looking like it. It's like gravity pulling you towards it and away from God. And Paul says, don't get sucked in. Don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the word, the rescued Romans 12 Christian won't look like a non-Christian. You'll look different. When you've been rescued, your marriage will look different than the world's marriage. The way you parent will look different than the way the world parents. The way you spend your money will look different than the way the world spends its money. In fact, you won't even call it your money anymore. It's God's money. The way you treat people will be different with your rescue in your rearview mirror. He says, I urge you to offer your bodies. I urge you to be transformed so that the world does not shape you into looking and living like it does. Verse three, he says, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. And so number three, I love how Paul's just being really straightforward here. Don't think too highly of you. We want you to be healthy, but don't think too highly of you. It's a great story of an old lady. She's, uh, she's dying in the hospital after a long illness and her husband sits beside her and she says, darling, I want you to go home and I want you to look in my closet and I want you to go to the very top shelf and I want you to pull that box off of the shelf and bring it back to the hospital to me. I've been keeping a secret for you all of these decades that we've been married. So the man goes home and he pulls down the box and he finds that it contains two hand-knitted dolls and $50,000 in cash. So the husband is clearly confused, but he's also overjoyed at the money. And so he takes the box back to the hospital to get an explanation from his wife. And she says, honey, years ago, I decided that every time I got angry over some insensitive or stupid thing that you said, I would knit one of these dolls. And by the time I finished the doll, I wouldn't be angry with you anymore. And the husband can't contain himself. <laughs> He's moved to tears by the fact that his wife of 40 years was only angry at him twice in all that time. There's only two dolls. And he puffs his chest out and he feels this burst of pride at being such a good husband. And through his tears, he says, honey, that's wonderful. But what about all the cash? And she spins her head to him quickly out of that hospital bed. And she says, no, you moron. The money I made was from selling all of the dolls that I knitted. $50,000 worth. I think Paul knows that we all have these bursts of pride. 
moments where we think we are better than we actually are. But he says, if you really are going to respond to the fact that you've been rescued, you won't think too highly of you. Can you imagine the father on that boat watching his son go under? As he pulls the friend onto the boat, what if that friend would have said, hey, why did, why did you throw me the rescue lifeline? I can swim. I'm an excellent swimmer. I could have made it without your help. That would have been a slap in the face to the father. Why? Because the father gave up his son to save the friend. The friend should never be arrogant. The friend should never be prideful. He only exists because the father allowed him to exist. And the same is true for you and I. How could we ever be arrogant? How could we ever be prideful? We only exist because the father allows us to exist. If you take your next breath as you're sitting at your house this morning, it's because he lets you take your next breath. If your heart goes ba-boop and then it goes ba-boop again, it's because God is allowing that to happen. If you stand up from your chair and fix you a sandwich for lunch, it's because he allowed it. If you wake up tomorrow, it's from him. Paul says, don't think too highly of you. We were all in the ocean. We were all lost. We were all desperate. We were all in need of a rescue. What could we possibly be prideful about? But man, if I'm just being real, I don't know about you, but I struggle with these bursts of pride. You know how hard it is for me to walk by a mirror and not be like, man, you do look good today, right? You you don't need to work out. You got it going on. I'm kidding. That's not really how I struggle with bursts of pride. My bursts of pride come in different ways. When I compare myself to others. When I say, well, yeah, I might struggle with this, but I don't struggle as bad as that person. When I look down on others, when I think that I am better, these bursts of pride and they are ugly. It's ugly. And you know what happens when we get a bunch of prideful yous? We get a prideful us. We get an arrogant us. And what we can end up with is an arrogant church that only really looks inward and looks out for ourselves and doesn't look outward. But our Romans 12 church has a bunch of yous in it, not thinking too highly of themselves, but always thinking highly of others. Isn't that what we want Radius Church to be? It actually helps us set up the next set of verses. Romans 12 verses four through eight. Paul continues, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Number four, the fourth way we respond to our rescue, your gifts are for us. Your gifts are for us. The Bible says, if you have the Holy Spirit, 1 Peter 4, you have a gift. 
And your gift is for the good of the whole church. It is actually to help strengthen the faith of others. Your gift is not for you. You didn't earn it. It was a gift to you. And your gift is meant to be a gift for others. How has God uniquely gifted you to serve others? I'll tell you what happens sometimes is that people sit around trying to figure out what their gift is and they waste a lot of time doing so. It's an important endeavor to figure out what your gift is. But I think the way you really discover what your gift is, is you get in the community, you start loving people, you start serving people, and very quickly you will be confirmed in how God has uniquely gifted you. Because you can take the Enneagram, Nothing wrong with it. You can take the disc profile and you can have all of these ways that you think you're gifted. But the reality is, if you don't know your neighbor's name, what's the point? So I'd encourage you to get out and serve and love and watch and see how God has gifted you. What's the next trait for the Christian and the church that has been rescued? Verses nine and 10, we're just working verse by verse here. Number nine, verse nine. Don't just pretend to love others. I love that. It's almost like Paul's assuming we're going to fake love some people. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Number five, live a real life with real faith. You've probably heard that at Radius. Live a real life with real faith. Let me translate verses nine and 10 for you. Don't be a hypocrite. (laughs) That's what Paul's saying. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't pretend like you have it all together when we all know that nobody has it all together. One of our main sayings at Radius, what we're striving to be is a place that is real, a safe place that you can tell the truth about yourself, a place where it's okay to not be okay. This church has to be a place where you can walk in and be real. And how easy it is for a church to become a place where everyone's just pretending and putting on a show. And we want Radius Church, we want our six campuses to be a safe place for those six communities to come in and tell the truth about who they really are. Tony Evans has a great illustration about this. He talks about a young couple that gets married. They're on their way home from the honeymoon and a a tractor trailer pulls out right in front of them suddenly and the young groom swerves to avoid it. And the car goes into a tailspin and crashes. The groom's okay, but his new bride is bleeding profusely. And the groom knows if he doesn't get his wife to a doctor, she is going to die. And so he gets out of the car and he sees a sign just a little ways ahead, the office of Dr. Rufus Jones, internal medicine. And so the groom is filled with hope and he picks up his new bride and he struggles up the hill towards the doctor's home and he knocks frantically on the door and an old man comes to the door and the groom says, Dr. Jones? And the man said, yes. And the husband says, my wife is bleeding out. She's dying. Please save her. And much to this young man's surprise, Dr. Jones says, I'm sorry, son, I can't help you. You see, I I stopped practicing medicine many years ago. I don't have any equipment here. I don't have medical supplies. I stopped practicing medicine a long time ago. 
And this groom is distraught. He's frustrated. He's angry. And he says, Dr. Jones, if you can no longer help hurting people, then please take down your sign. I just want to remind you this morning that we have a world out there bleeding out. They're dying. They are in desperate need of a rescue. And we tell them to come to church where we offer Jesus. We tell them this is a place where they can be real. We tell them we are the hospital. But if we're not going to be the hospital, we need to take our sign down. There's no need in having a sign that says radius church if when people show up, they don't get surgery. So man, as we do this thing together, let's either be the real hospital or let's take down the sign. Let's not have everybody thinking that we're a safe place where they can come get healthy, but they show up and die at our doorstep because we stopped being a church a long time ago. And I'm just thankful to be a part of a church that fights for this. The best compliment our church gets when people come for the first time or the second time is they said, it's real here. It just feels real. It doesn't feel fake. It doesn't feel phony. People walk into one of our campuses and it feels real and it feels safe. We got to keep fighting for that. And we celebrate story after story after story after story. Many of us included that walked in here broken. But it was a safe place to not be. We were not okay, but we didn't stay that way. We became more and more okay as we experienced radius and experienced biblical community and really experienced Jesus here. We want this to be a place where it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay not okay. <laughs> That's why we've got to be able to tell the truth to one another. That's what Paul says. To really love them, you've got to tell them the truth. If my son, I have a six-year-old son named McCoy, if he's playing in the street and I can love him and I can accept him, hey, buddy, I love you, while he's playing in the street on 378 and he's dodging traffic, oh, that car almost got him, I accept you. No, the loving thing is to do is tell him the street is dangerous. The street is gonna kill you. I gotta get you off the street to tell him the truth. And that's how we really love each other. That's what Paul's saying. Don't pretend to love each other. Not this fake love really love one another, telling the truth about yourself and telling the truth to one another. That's why we talk about the importance of small groups. If you're at one of our campuses and you haven't got in yet, it's not too late to sign up. Jump in and sign up in one of our small groups where you can really know each other and pray with one another, know the truth about each other. Now, we got to pick up the pace here. I, uh, I don't think Paul had Twitter back in the day. But it's almost like he did because he's going to fire off some tweets at us here, some 140 characters or less, and we're going to move through them fast. You thought you were going to get a break this morning because you're at home. We got to go to work, all right? So we're going to pick up the pace here. Here's Paul, Romans 12, firing off some tweets. Verse 11, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. And so number six for us, work hard, serve the Lord. Work hard, serve the Lord. We all have a radius. We all have a job to do. If you know our philosophy of ministry, you can check it out on radiuschurch.info. It's called the Radius Way. It's what we believe about ministry. And what we believe is that you shouldn't be in the church building six nights a week. You should be in your community. 
You should come here for Sunday mornings. You should come here for small groups. You should get trained and equipped and challenged and encouraged and motivated and inspired to go be the church in your community, where you live, where you work, where you play. Verse 12, Paul says, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. You know what he's saying? Number seven, keep your head up. Keep your head up. Trouble is gonna come in your life. When it does, keep your head up, focusing on the hope that we have in heaven. Because it's not gonna be long for you until there's no more cancer, no more COVID, no more bad weather, no more wrecks, no more death, no more funerals, no more headaches, no more insecurity. Focusing on your future hope, keeping your head up helps us to be patient with the chaos going on in our world. You know what I think Paul's saying? When everybody else is freaking out, don't freak out. You've been rescued. Keep your head up. Think about your future. Stay patient and pray. Paul's firing off some tweets here. Verse 13. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. That's what a rescued Christian does. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Number eight, be generous. Hope you're jotting these down or putting them in your phone. Be generous. Really important here at Radius, right? It's in our mission statement that we're gonna live generously. We wanna be known for our generosity in the community, which means saying no to extravagant things here so that we can say yes to our community. I tell our folks at Radius Centerville, we'll we'll probably never have a rock wall, a climbing wall in our kids' area. There's there's nothing wrong with that. We're just not gonna spend money on it. We, We want our money to go outside of the walls. And it's been really fun to do that together. As a bunch of individual yous over the last six weeks or so has reached into their wallet and been really generous. And then us, we, $350,000 through Give Hope to give away to the community to pay for funerals and electric bills and wheelchair ramps. That's what we want to be known for. To make Radius famous? Heck no. To make Jesus famous. And to bring more people in the boat to rescue more and more. Another tweet, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. So number nine, bless your enemies. Don't bless them out. If you try to live for Jesus, if you try to really respond to this idea that you've been rescued, you will face opposition. Bless them. Don't bless them out. Pray for them. Why? Why would we do that? Because at the center of our faith is a man on a cross dying for people that hate him. At the center of our faith, we've got a man dying on a cross who use him and mock him. He's dying for those people. But he loves them and he loves us through all of that. And the rescued Christian models that. I'll just tell you, just recently in the last week, I have seen social media posts where people are just blessing people out. They've got a Bible verse in their little profile on Facebook, but they're blessing people out. And Paul's saying the rescued Christian blesses others. They don't bless them out. Verse 15, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. And so number 10, if we simplify it a little bit, be happy, be sad. Be happy with those that are happy. Be sad with those 
that are sad. We live in a world where it's, it's easy to kind of celebrate when other people fail. What would it look like to be happy when people are happy? And I mean truly happy, not pretending. And to mourn and weep when others are mourning and weeping. I remember sitting in this room at Radius Lexington when Todd Carnes was our pastor and he was talking about the ministry of presence. And he said, you're gonna have some funerals where it might be three or four hours away where you have to drive or you might be in your mind going, "Ah, I didn't really know the person that well. And I remember him saying, you should always go to those funerals. You should always mourn with those that are mourning and weep for those that weep. There's something about you just being there that speaks volumes. That's what we do. We're family. Got two left. Verse 16, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. How great is that? Number 11, don't be a know-it-all. Straight out of the Bible. Live in harmony with each other and don't be a know-it-all. Outdo each other with honor and respect. Listen, I know everybody walking, I mean, everybody watching this morning has the answer about mask. I I do. You, You don't care to hear mine. I know that everybody watching this morning has the answer on vaccines. We have the answer on politics. We have the answer on how COVID should be handled in schools. We have the answers for what we would do if we were in charge. You know what Paul's saying? Don't think too highly of you. Don't be a know-it-all. What this really goes back to is a previous tweet that Paul fired off where we get these bursts of pride. This is where my burst of pride shows up. What about you? I I think that I can do everybody else's job better than them, right? If I was running the drive-through, I wouldn't get your order wrong and it wouldn't take as long. (laughs) If I worked at Verizon, you wouldn't be so unhappy. Things would run so much more smoothly if I was in charge of Verizon and on and on and on. And so Paul speaking right to Ryan Maloney this morning goes, don't be a know-it-all. Don't think too highly of you, but think highly of others. So he says, it's fine to have an opinion. Just don't be a know-it-all. Verse 18, last one. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So number 12, our 12th trade as we are drinking out of a fire hydrant this morning, do your part for peace. Do your part for peace. What I know is our different campuses and our different context. We've got family members that haven't spoken to other family members in years. We've got folks that'll go to one service because so-and-so goes to the other service and we don't want to have to see them because we don't really like them. And so really the question this morning is, are you doing your part for peace in that situation? Because we know there's just some people that make it really difficult. Have you done your part? Are you playing your part for peace. So as we close this morning, I want to be really careful that we don't look at these 12 as a checklist of what we have to do to get rescued. In fact, it's the complete opposite. You do nothing to get rescued. God rescues you. You do nothing. We've been in Ephesians that says, you don't take credit for your rescue. God rescues you. What these 12 things are is this is how you should respond because you've been rescued. So one last story that hopefully will hammer it home for you. 
In his book, Timothy Paul Johns, Jones, Timothy Paul Jones shares a story about taking his adopted daughter to Disney World for the first time. This little girl joined the family at eight years old after another family gave her back after adopting her. And so for reasons unknown, this first family that she was adopted into would take their biological kids to Disney World, but they would never take their adopted daughter, leaving her with friends. And so by the time she was adopted into the Jones family, she had heard all about the most magical place on earth, but she had never experienced it for herself. And so when her new parents shared their plans to take a family trip to Disney World, a really strange thing happened. For months leading up to the vacation, Jones wrote that his daughter started acting out in a variety of ways. Her behavior was rebellious and cruel. One evening when he was about to correct her, she looked at him and said, you're not gonna take me to Disney World now, are you? You see, this little girl had learned many years before that she could not earn her way to Disney World. She had tried to be good, but when her previous family left her back at home, she reasoned it was because she wasn't good enough. So this time she was living in a way that distracted her far from the magic kingdom. Her dad reassured her that she was part of the family and she was going on the trip no matter what. And Jones shared a beautiful moment that happened the night after their family's first day in the theme park. Back at the hotel, as he tucked in his daughter into bed, he asked her how her first day at Disney World was. And she thought for a moment and she said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was good. It's because I am yours. That's what I want you to hear this morning. That's the message of God's amazing grace. That's the gospel, God's grace. Him rescuing you isn't something you could ever earn. His grace pursues you when you're his enemy, when you rebel, when you test the limits and push back against his love. He calls you, he loves you, not because you're good, but because you're his. And so all we wanna do is be faithful to respond the appropriate way. So how do you apply this this morning? Here's what I'd like for you to do. When you, when you turn your television off, what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to pick one of these 12, right? We all have to work on all 12 of them, right? But which one of the 12 jumped off the page to you that the Holy Spirit said, hey, this is the one for you. Maybe you would share that with the other people in your home. The other application is I wanna point you to next week. You should make every effort to be at your campus next week because what your campus pastor is gonna do is he's gonna walk you through how to grow in your relationship with Jesus, how to really respond. It's gonna be a really great Sunday next week, January 23rd. So go ahead and make effort to be at your campus and to invite a friend or neighbor to your campus, especially if you're in the Red Bank area. Man, Radius White, no, I want you to hear the other five campuses. We're so excited about John Patog and his wife and family being out there on the 23rd and kicking this thing off. And so I hope you're inviting a bunch of folks to join. Let me pray for you as we close. Lord, I know there may be some folks listening to this that have not been rescued. 
We would love to have that conversation with them. So maybe they would go online this morning and fill out a connect card that we have a conversation, a gospel conversation that God wants to rescue them. And for those of us in the room that have been rescued, not because of anything we did, but because of what you've done, we want to respond the right way. And so would you show us the one thing, maybe a couple of things that we just haven't been responding the right way? Maybe there's a part of us we haven't fully given to you. You want all of us. Maybe it's in the way we treat people. It could be a whole host of things, Lord, but we want to hear from you. And then, Lord, we go ahead and we pray for next Sunday. We pray specifically for Radius White Knoll and John's first Sunday out there. They'll talk about some habits and how to take the next step with you. We love you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.